Hey, welcome back to episode seven of Middle Class Rockstar. My guest today is Chris K. He goes by GOAT. He's gone by GOAT since before it was cool. Everybody is the GOAT of something now, the greatest of all time. You've been hearing it on SportsCenter. I hear it from my students. You hear GOAT everywhere. Somebody's always the GOAT of something. But Chris K is, a, is the GOAT of being the GOAT. He's the goat. He's the original. Before it was cool to call everything a goat. And he'll talk more about that at the beginning of the episode, about how that all came to be. But Chris K, a.k.a. Goat, has been in the Colorado music industry for a long, long time, uh, both as a radio personality and he's promoted artists. He sends, when I have a new album out, he sends my CD out to all the local radio stations, and he follows up with them. He sends out to festivals for booking and stuff. Uh, he's done sound in the past. He's, he's He books things. He's got a festival in Tacono. He's a kind of an important guy in the Colorado music scene. And he also recently started playing again. I think he said three or four years ago, got back into performing with a band, which is something he did for a while before... Uh, hanging it up for a little bit, but he's back doing it as a hobby. The band's called Goats. Greatest of all time, Z! Exclamation point. Goats. Very cool band name. Go check them out. They play fairly frequently. They're, they're doing a lot of breweries and things like that around the Denver area um, in northern Colorado. So just look out for that if you want to go see Goats. Um, I also want to mention, we started talking about PROs, performing rights organizations, and I had a little slip up in the interview, and don't worry, Chris was very quick to correct me, but I mentioned how PROs such as ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, SOCAN, if you're in Canada, I think it's called Protect the Artist, and I, that's very wrong. They protect the writer, and I, I let it slip that way because I'm an artist and writer. I write and perform my own song, so I'm a singer-songwriter. A lot of my peers are singer-songwriters. They're artists and songwriters, and they perform their own songs. So I sometimes say artist, but I should have said, I should say writer, right? The PROs, are, you know, you can sign up as a publisher. You can sign up as a writer. You don't sign up as an artist. So I want to make that clarification in there, and that was a dumb slip-up on my part. And if all of that just went over your head, then good. I don't have to explain it any further. Anyway, I talked enough last week with Richard Harris for three weeks of monologues, so I want to jump right into it. Here's my interview with Chris Kay. Let's start with the important stuff. Why do they call you GOAT? Oh, good story. So uh, 1998, 99, I came off the road. My uh, old band and I had just gotten back from England. I split up with my band after 15 years. And I was sitting in my apartment recording a bunch of guitar instrumentals. I was very frustrated. And I was, just, I was demoing equipment. And my girlfriend at the time um, said to me, uh, I went to bed. I was grumpy as all get out and I came out and she had done an album cover and she had taken a goat's body, superimposed my face with my hat that I wear all the time. And it said, picky, grumpy old goat does wonderful instrumentals. And she launched it 
up on AOL back in the day, right? So um, the picky, grumpy old goat stuck. And then the grandkids started calling me picky, grumpy old goat. And then my friends started calling me picky, grumpy old goat. And then I just became goat. Plus, I'm a Capricorn. So it fit. Uh, yeah, right. So there's the story. There's behind. the story. And you still use that logo. I do. Yeah. yeah. Patty designed that back in uh, 1999. She designed that logo for me. I still use it to this day. Matter of wow. fact, I laughed. I said, can you turn that into a caricature? Can you take like, you know, caricature eyes me that way as a goat? And uh, yeah, I still use it to that this day because nobody's ever come up with a better one for me to use. Well, how could they at this point? <laughs> yeah, no shit, if you've right? been using it forever, there's some <laughs> sentimental value behind it, obviously. It's a great logo, too. It is. You know, so, so fuck them. Use it. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> so you, you've been a musician forever, and you recently started playing again, but then you also help out other artists. You have a radio show. If I were to ask you, uh, you know, for that elevator pitch, what do you do? What would you say? Elevator. The 30-second, what does Chris K do? Right, right, because it, it always takes me more than 30 seconds when my friends ask. Sure. So basically, I own a, uh, I own a company called Rocky Mountain Music Network, LLC. Uh, I produce a radio program that's heard on 24 FM frequency statewide, 52 hours a week. Uh, I also am a musician. I have a band called Goats. Duh. With a and, Z. With a Z and an exclamation point. An exclamation point. point. That's right. <laughs> and um, I also help by doing consulting work for municipalities, uh, for buyers, for festivals. Uh, I do talent consulting. And then I also help musicians uh, by way of doing consulting work for musicians, uh, mentoring, consulting, and as well putting uh, their, their product, their face, their calling card out to media and municipalities uh, statewide. And I only work within the state of Colorado. Nowhere eh, else. Time's up. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. No, that was pretty good, though. You got that all in there between the first and fourth floor. That was right, good. exactly. <laughs> very nice. Very Well, and you've we've worked together, I guess. Six years now? Has it been six years yeah, since you graduated? Uh, yeah, I guess almost. Almost six years. Well, almost and I, years? we probably got in touch my my senior year yeah. through Chris Daniels, right. who just produced the record I put out a few months ago, right. my fourth. But we got in touch through Chris Daniels, um, and I remember our first meeting at Sam's Number Three downtown Denver. Yep, that's right. Yeah, and wow. you, yeah, you sent out all the CDs across. Well, what you did for me was sort of a a mentor thing and also a, a promotion thing, right? I right. gave you, I don't know, 115 CDs, and yep. you sent them out. And uh, I remember one of the funniest conversations I had with you, which I didn't find funny at the time. We were talking, and I said, so whatever happened with those CDs you sent out? Are we getting plays? And you said, oh, no, probably not. This one's just so they know your name for next time. Right. And at the time, I was like, what the fuck, Chris? <laughs> and then, and now now years later, I look back at that, and I'm like, that's hilarious. Well, I just had the same conversation on the way down here yeah. with a, a current client of mine, uh, Lucas Wolfe, goes by, Lucas Swafford out of Boulder. And uh, we were talking about it because his his CD is, is was produced by John McVeigh. I'm just sending it out today or tomorrow. And, uh, and I said, look, I need you to understand that your job is to go work. This is a calling card. It's a business card. This is a way for you to introduce yourself to people in media and municipalities statewide. The only expectation you have coming out of that is the work you put in. Right. That's it. Same thing I told you all those years ago. Right. It boils down to the work that you put into it, not what your product can give to you. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's the way it works. And so if somebody were to give, let, let's go back through the process. If I'm to give you my new CD, mm-hmm. which I guess I did. You but, did. But an artist gives you their new CD and, and X amount of dollars after the consultation. Mm-hmm. What service do you provide? What all do you do? What do you take care of and for what period of time? Well, the first thing that I do is, um, <laughs> it's funny, the very first part of that is the consulting and, and mentorship. That's the very first part of it. Um, the, the, the first physical part of it is I package that all up. I create a real simple one sheet. One sheets typically, as a, as a guy who's spent 40 years in radio, one sheets are a mess. If right. there's too much information, DJs don't read it. Music directors don't read all of that. They want bang, short, sweet, to the point. Who are you? What you got? Why do I need to pay attention? So I create that. Then I send out those packages to municipal agencies, DBAs, DDAs, city halls, wherever anybody that produces a musical show during a summer season, as well as to media, radio, TV, and print. Um, And then over the course of a year, uh, a lot of the work is really um, the coaching and mentorship side of things. As as you know, the relationship we've had all these years is that it's really about you staying in touch with me so that if you get a gig in Durango, you call me up six or eight weeks in advance of that gig and go, oh, crap, I'm playing in Durango. Great. Let me hook you up with my pal at these stations. Right. See if we can't get you some more airplay. Let's see if we can't get you in the studio for an interview. That right. sort of thing. Yeah. Cool. And you, and how many artists do you have under your wing right now? I don't have no idea. Yeah. Uh, actively working at the moment, right at this very moment, actively working. Uh, I've got two projects that I'm sending out right now. Mm. Um, and then a handful of people who, when they call upon me, uh, I'll sit down and have a conversation with. Uh, and, and I have a very, I've, I've developed some very close friendships over that time with you, yeah. uh, with Bill and Monica from the Monocle Band. You know, I mean, friends who can call me at any time and say, hey, can we go out and grab lunch? You know, I need an hour of your time. Yeah. You know. Um, and, and at that point says, yeah, sure. Buy me lunch. We'll go. Let's go do it. That's great. That's great. So you do it. You've been doing a lot of things for a, a long time, long it? time, 40. I just celebrated my 40th anniversary. My first radio job in Colorado was in August, 1978. That was 40 years ago. Wow. Well, so let's jump back then. How did you get started in the music industry? Did you start off as a performer first or were you a radio DJ first? Oh, so I'm third generation. Uh, my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, uh, was a guy named Bunny Seibel, Harold Bunny Seibel. He was a multi-instrumentalist in the Tin Pan Alley era of uh, New York City jazz. My father was a jazz musician, among other things. Uh, he was a jazz musician, a drummer who ultimately owned his own jazz club in Anchorage, Alaska in the early 60s. So my first experiences were on stage as an actor when I was six years old. Um, my mother, my father, my uh, brother, who's 18 months younger than I, and, and I, um, uh, we uh, were in a family play, little theater, and I got the stage bug. And then my dad was, um, my dad got me into learning music theory and trumpet when I was like seven, eight years old. So he I was a musician. Yeah, he was a jazz musician. He was a jazz drummer, played vibes, a little clarinet, a little trumpet, um, a frustrated jazz musician. And then um, he quit playing music when I was 10. Um, and then when I was 14, I picked up a guitar 
1969, I picked up a guitar, and the rest, as they say, was history, except when I turned 18, I came to the conclusion that I didn't have the talent, the skill set, nor the discipline to be Eric Clapton or Alvin Lee. And I was in the military. Uh, I was 19 years old. I was in the military and I went to the Airmen's Club and there was a guy DJing. Well, I had had the largest 45 collection of all my friends throughout high school. So I was always the guy with the records at the dance parties in the basements. I looked at this guy and said, can I do a set? He was like, Manuel Angela Cabrera, Mannix. And uh, <laughs> cool guy, Puerto Rican, taught me all about Puerto Rican and Cuban music. And he was really into R&B and funk. And uh, I was really into rock and roll back in those days. So he would do the dance sets. I would do the rock sets. This is like 1974. Wow. So when I got out of the military in 75, uh, I decided that I wanted to go to broadcasting school. Hmm. And so that was the that was what I pursued. I pursued broadcasting as opposed to being a professional musician. And it really wasn't until I was in my 30s. 30s. I was 44 when I actually started fronting my own project. Wow. So it came after that came way after, after a while. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, way after. And the Colorado, the Colorado Sound, when did that? The Colorado Playlist. Colorado so playlist, the, the original name of my radio show was the Colorado Sound. Uh, I sold that name to KJAC, 105.5. I sold that name to them before they went on the air. That'll be, uh, I sold that name to them three years ago in January. Mm. Um, and rebranded my show as the Colorado Playlist. And uh, we celebrated the 12th year on the air this past April. So wow. 12 and a half years now. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Done a lot of good stuff. Um, and so when artists when artists put out new uh, new music, how do they get it to you? Uh, do you want it? Any number of ways, really. Yeah. Um, a lot of the time, I, I really try to stay as acutely aware of what's going on regionally as I'm able to. Um, yeah. This is a full-time thing for me. I don't do anything else other than work within this context. Um, sometimes, um, nowadays particularly, uh, I'll get some submissions throughout the year. You know, people who know who I am and what I do and, and that sort of thing. But I'd say, generally speaking, it's more about discovery. It's more about me going out and saying, okay, who is this act and why do I need to pay attention to them? Mm. Here's a new band playing at... Um, Lost Lake or, uh, you know, one of the venues in town, Larimer Lounge or Oscar Blues or Avogadro's. Or and you'll actually somewhere. go out and check them and out. I'll check out. Well, I won't go see them. I don't have the time for that. Yeah. I don't, I just, I don't have the time anymore for that. And after I quit doing sound uh, a couple of years ago, um, I, I decided to really refocus how I do things. Um, but I'll search online. Um, I'll search Bandcamp a lot. I'll I'll read uh, I read all the major publications in the state. You know, if Marquee does a review of a band I've never heard of, I'm all about finding going to Bandcamp or SoundCloud or Spotify and going, okay, who's this band? You know, uh, referrals and recommendations. I just recently came across a song by a band, um, uh, Dayton Stone and the Undertones. It was a referral from Nick Jay, 
who's in a band called Sivduk, who was in a band, he and he was in another band before that. Uh, and the pe- name is Petals of Spain. Petals of Spain. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and they did a phenomenal EP a couple of years ago that just blew our minds. Yeah. And uh, so he introduced me to a couple of acts and said, you need to check these guys out. So it comes from a lot of different ways, I suppose. A lot of different networking yeah. and stuff. Used to come a lot from me doing sound and being involved uh, from in the production world. And then I retired from doing production work this year. That was just this year? Yeah, just this year. Yeah, You were doing sound at the Oscar. Oscar Blues, Blues for seven venues. years. Yeah. Uh, I, I've run venues. I've been a general manager and a liquor license owner and a talent buyer and you know started a venue, basically an original music venue many years ago in Fort Collins. Uh, took over an existing place and built it up. Uh, so I, you know, I've been doing a lot of different things for a very, very long time in the business now. So I, whenever I talk with you, say we talk in, in August, you say, okay, it's August, so please tell me you've applied for all your festivals right. next September. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man, are you serious already? So you're you're on top of it. So I expect you to know exactly where where Denver band should be right now. This episode will come out in about a week and a half. So it'll be, it'll be, we'll be November, a, a weekend in November. If you're a local Denver band, of course we all have different goals and sure. stuff, but if you're going for it, yeah, where should you be at that point in time? What should you be getting ready to do at that point in time? You should at least by mid November, you should have your package together. Okay. Um, you should know who you're sending it to. You should have built your list and you should have already put together all of the ingredients. You should have it in an envelope and you should have it out really ideally by no later than the week leading into Thanksgiving. And what needs to be in that package? Uh, you know, that's there's been some discussion and debate about that. I'm still pretty old school. Um and, and the reason being is that when you start talking about Colorado, you start talking a lot about a lot of rural areas in the state that don't have access to broadband technology. So I still am of the belief that you need a, a solid uh, physical product, professionally done physical product. Right. No burn discs, no homemade packaging. Uh, you should have a solid professional product. Uh, you should have a really concise um three to five bullet point resume slash one sheet Mm. that you send out who you are, what you've done. Why do I need to pay attention to you? Um, like to reemphasize again, short and sweet. You don't need the full page. It goes also check out this other thing I did with my mom over here. It's just boom, 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 short and sweet who I am, what I've done, why you need to pay attention to my band. Um, and obviously the contact information, Something that somebody can hold in their one hand, look at for three minutes and glean why they want to put that CD in their CD player. Because typically most buyers, municipal buyers around the state, typically, I'm going to overgeneralize here for a minute, tend to be in their early 40s and female. And what's interesting about that demographic is that they graduated college 20 years ago. Almost 20 years ago. Yeah. So the music that they're listening to in their car came out 24 years ago. Right. So that puts us in the 90s. Yeah. Okay. So if they put, oh, and if they have a, if they have a six CD changer in their car, they haven't changed out five of those CDs in five years. Yeah. yeah. 
for those of us who uh, still have CD players. In our right. Car. So, yeah. and how many of your friends are like that? Or if let's say let's say that they've that they've acquiesced, they've become they've become digitized. You know, they're using Spotify, they're using Pandora. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if they're using Pandora, what they do is they're taking their favorite artists from high school and college, they're plugging it into Pandora, and whatever new music comes along is just arbitrary because that's not what they're listening for. They're listening for the hit that they remember from high school and college. Mm. These are not people who are typically, these are not people who are attuned to the music scene, nor are they attuned to new music, unless... They happen to be listening to local, non-commercial, public and community radio stations, which is what I service. Mm. If they're listening to those types of stations and they're a part of that scene, then they're much more attuned. So if they're in Paonia, they're listening to KVNF. If they're in Grand Junction, they might be listening to KAFM or KSUT in Durango. Is that an argument to get out into some of those more rural areas if you're an artist? Well, fuck yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. If you're not out working in Colorado today, um, you're, you're missing out. You're mm -hmm. absolutely missing out. There's more music. Uh, I have an article sitting in my email. And if I remember the article right, the headline, uh, the, the basically the article said that there are 387 music events taking place in the state every year. Mm. Well, the truth is there's over 400. Yeah. There are over 400 music events a year in Colorado. Wow. There's plenty of, there's plenty of work out there. Um, the problem isn't the lack of work at all. As, as I've told you for years, I, I've been beating this into your head for years. Yeah. Go to work. Right. You know, that's on you. I'm not yep. a booking agent. I'm not a seller. I have too much work to do as it is. Right. It's your job to get out there and hit up these towns and, and find out what's going on in Grand Junction. Like, I was there in September. And uh, we stayed at a and b at a winery. Young lady there on the morning we were getting ready to leave was in her mid-20s. And I was like, I got to chat this gal up because I need to know what's going on here locally. Well, I didn't know that the college had turned into a university. And I also happened to have just read an article in the Grand Junction paper about this downtown area that was all of a sudden becoming a, a, an arts magnet. And so I started talking about venues and what's going on. And she just told me flat out from September to April, it's all about servicing the kids who are in town going to school in the summertime. It's about servicing the local community, and that's where they come up with their little municipal events and that sort of thing. Yeah. So all of a sudden, Grand Junction has a radio station that loves to support Colorado music. Even before they took on my show four hours a week, I was monitoring them on a regular basis because they were one of the strong units in the state playing Colorado music. And they have, I, if I remember right, they've got a solar-powered performance studio that they do live shows in. That's cool. You know? So all of these stations around the state have this kind of synergy and this integration into their communities. Once you leave those, once you get onto the front range, that dynamic changes completely outside, well, outside of Fort Collins. Right. Now, so... Which is its own story which, in and of itself. Yeah, Fort Collins. Well, and you're very close with the Fort Collins scene. Yeah. Dear, that's sort of your yeah. your Northern Colorado guy, right? Yeah, forty years in this scene in Northern Colorado. Wow, wow. So yeah, you're 
it, it almost feels like a separate scene sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I feel like you drive north of Denver a little ways, and there's like, like a cutoff. There is. Something. Yeah, it's called 120th. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a pretty. Uh, it, you're trying to claim too much territory, I think. You want 120th north? Yeah. I was yeah. going to say birth it, but, birth it? but whatever. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But we're always pushing our borders. From yeah, our oh, sure. Well, northern Colorado, I typically think of as anything from exit 240 north. Yeah. So exit 240 would be uh, Highway 119, which is basically the diagonal goes through Longmont and into Boulder, or 119 goes off the other way over to 85 and up into Greeley. So basically, um, exit 240 north is what I consider northern Colorado. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, I'll meet you at the at the line with swords, and we'll decide exactly where that line <laughs> lands. So, and I want to touch. With what you were saying, I want to look at the album cycle a little bit and how it's changed. And is it necessary with packaging? For instance, I put out my record in May. Right. Um, a lot of these people got my record last year. Mm -hmm. Is it okay to put that in the package again? Is there is there a, or, or are they gonna be like, ah this is the same? I mean, probably most people won't notice, right? This is the same stuff as as last year. Do you need something new every year to send out in your package? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's like anything else in life um, I've learned is um, people have incredibly short memories. Yeah. Uh, they really do. Uh, a phenomena that I actually posted about online one day and had a conversation about is I've received more singles um, and singles submissions from EPs and albums this year than I have in the last um, seven, eight, nine, ten years. Wow. Um, it... it um, and it's kind of weird, really, you know, when it used to be that you would send out a whole EP or LP, LP, really long play um, to differentiate that. Not that it's vinyl, but an LP versus uh, EP or a single and SP. Right. Um, it used to be that you would send out an LP or an EP with a couple of suggested singles in the non-commercial public and community radio world. These are stations that are almost entirely staffed by volunteers right. who have an average age right now of over 50 for the most part. And you're talking to KGNUs that has, you know, 200 people doing shows or KRFC in Fort Collins that has, you know, 100 plus people doing shows, that sort of thing. And so it used to be that you would send a record and maybe they would pull it from a shelf and they would just play whatever from the record never really even listened to the record, to be honest. They would just listen to an intro, outro, and determine if it fit with the next song. Um, I think today, one of the things I'm seeing is you almost have to put something out every 90 to 120 days. You almost have to constantly be self-promoting. As opposed to a, a full 18 length. months. Right. Forget yeah. the 18-month cycle. Yeah. 18 months is way and, too and long for, today. Forget, it, forget a full-length album as well. Are we thinking one or two tracks every 90 to 120 I, days? I have a different theory on that. You know, it seems to me, and, and I've been producing festivals and been a part of festivals for quite a long time now. When I look at my merch table at the festivals that I'm personally involved with, I'm not seeing a lot of CDs flying off those merch tables anymore. Right. Um, I, I think they can still be an important part of things, but as one local band leader told me here this summer, her albums have become business cards. Yeah. Become calling cards. Um, they're not making their money from those sales anymore. So if you're talking ten or fifteen thousand dollars to produce an album, 
Mm-hmm. And at $10 a pop, you got to sell a thousand or 2000 units to make anything back on the deal at all. Right. You know, not counting the shit that you're giving away. Um, it almost makes more sense to me to go in and produce, go into the studio and form a relationship with a studio owner and stay in the studio and do a monthly budget. Mm. And do, if you're going to do physical products, maybe put out five or six songs three times a year. And when you say monthly budget, you're saying go in one day a month and record some stuff. Sure. Yeah. Set up a monthly budget. It does two things. One, it keeps you in the studio, which keeps you learning in that process and gets your Mm -hmm. product better and better and better. And from the studio ownership side of the table, it keeps the revenue stream on the studio side consistent. You know, so they know I've got this project in here every month for, say, uh, a day, what, $600 a day. The first Monday of every month. Sure, first Monday of every month. That's $600 every month. So from a studio ownership perspective, that makes sense to me. And from a band perspective, it makes sense because you're likely rehearsing at least once a week anyway. You're probably doing at a local level maybe two, three, four, five shows a month. Um, and then maybe you have one day a month where you're in the studio and that creates a sense of tightness. It creates a sense of, it it creates a different vibe and energy within the band, um, that I think you can capitalize on as players. Now, if you have the ability to do that here in your space, great, do it in your space. Yeah. But I think there's a discipline that comes with it. Going into the that studio. helps you improve your songwriting and your performance. Got to be ready. And your band, because you've got to be ready. Mm-hmm. If you're going to spend $600 a month, you've got to be prepared to do it right on that day. I think that's a great thought. Um, and a- after putting out this full length that I put out in May, I've kind of, I-, I love putting out the full albums because that's sort of, I don't know, I guess that's what I grew up with is, that whole the CD thing, but I for the first time I thought, you know, I'm glad I did that. I don't regret it. Right. And I spent more money on packaging than I ever have, and I think it looks great. It does and look, I'm and I'm yeah. proud of it. Very professional. You have you in the years I've known you, I've watched you grow. I've yeah. heard your music grow. I've heard your craft improve. I've watched you grow uh, as a musician and as a person. And this last record was the one that I finally, I think I even said to you, this is your first record this is your first record well and 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 that's why i don't regret anything that i did on that record i didn't cut any corners i I think the album looks great great card did the artwork the packaging i i'm proud of it i'm proud of handing it out but now for the first time i'm not i'm starting to think in terms of not necessarily going in and recording 12 songs but one or two and not necessarily putting them on a CD, but putting them on Spotify. Right. And, and for us, and I've heard the same from other local artists I've talked to, cause I thought it was sort of crazy this summer, our merch sales or this whole year have gone up significantly from previous years. Part of that is doing better gigs, but right. our merch sales have gone up, but not our CD sales. Right. Our t-shirt sales are through the roof. Right. I can't, I can't keep stocked on t-shirts right now. And I have to think that part of that, is a trend. Well, it is. And I think that what, I think that what we all see, um, whether it's my, uh, you and I as musicians or from my point of view of being the guy on stage producing the shows is that the audience desperately wants to connect with the emotion that they experience in that moment. 
And they want something to uh, memorialize that event. You know, if you do a bang up show and you see that you're selling out people, you connected with people. I watched Wendy Wu do this for years and years, mm-hmm. and it would amaze me. She'd do a 45-minute set, and she'd have an hour-long line at her merch table, you know? And so it's a. I think that the audience, first of all, they want to support us. The audience wants to, desperately wants to support us in some way. Yeah, and so, which is a good thing. Which is a very good start, thing. start, yeah. Sure, absolutely. And so whether they go to a free show, a, a summer event, or whether they go to a local venue and pay anywhere from $5 to $15 to see us perform or free, um, I think that there is that where the audience wants to give you something. Uh, we've gotten into the habit, and I don't have CDs to sell or T-shirts to sell. Um, we put a boot out. Um, we were blown away. We made half as much um, in tips at a gig we played at the Mile High Flea Market this summer as what we got paid by the flea market. We made half again as much in tips. If I had had product out there to sell, I probably could have sold, made made a boatload more in product. Um, But I do think that it boils down to the synergy that we create as performers with that audience. And can we get them to come shake hands with us? And if they do that and they're at the merch table, they're going to pull their card out. Yeah. Yeah. And along those lines, are you seeing more or less people going out to live shows on a Friday, Saturday night, whether it's going to a brewery because they have live music mm-hmm. or actually, which is where a lot of us are playing, especially Colorado oh, I musicians. I love my brew pubs and breweries. Oh, I love them. Absolutely. Yeah. They usually throw in a crowler too, which I like. Yeah. Or you some know. burgers and a beer, baby. Yeah. I'll take it all exactly. day long, you know. Exactly. So I, are, do you feel that people are going out to shows with, with great consistency or or not right now? Hmm. It's an interesting question. Um, I think there's two components sitting there. First of all, I think when it comes to the brew pub brewery cycle of things, you know, that sort of venue, um, I think people are going there for the beer and the food. Um, whether it's a food truck or whatever, you know, uh, I think people are just going there anyway. And I think music becomes added value. Uh, same thing with a lot of restaurant type gigs. Uh, I've argued for many years now that if if you're a restaurant venue, uh, you shouldn't. It, it, the music should be added value to the experience of going to that restaurant, if it's a restaurant slash music venue. And the artist should expect to get paid to entertain the the people that the restaurant brings in to eat. That's food. correct. Yeah, yeah that's, that's correct. an extra expense for the restaurant. That's right, it, and it's counted for. Uh, it's counted for in that restaurants labor um calculations yeah is how it's calculated so one thing that i've noticed over the past uh oh shit what's what we we're almost in 2019 so 19 years now since i quit you know since i uh quit the one band that i thought had a shot and was going to tour uh and i decided to settle down here and uh put my foot down and develop a business is there are in there are a far greater number of places to play. There are far greater number of bands and orchestras and duos and solo acts. Um, you know, I, my personal estimate is that there are over 3,500 working acts in Colorado today. Jeez. Uh, I was talking with um, Jessica Johnson from Marquee 
one day and she commented to me uh, that they keep track of, I don't know, over 600 or 800 uh, venue appearances, you know, at any given time. Uh, I remember 15, 16 years ago, uh, Westward, if you counted all of the bands and all of the shows enlisted in Westward, there were over 650, you know, um, so in my understanding, and I'm not an economist, I'm just a, you know, I'm really just a guy who's been doing this a long time, but from an economics point of view, I, I've learned in my career that the demand for a product is static. Uh, and it's estimated that there's 1% of the general population that's available at any given time to go see a live music performance. All right, so let's take, uh, let's see, if it's 1%, that's 1 out of 100. Um, that's 1,000 out of 10,000. No, it's 1,000 out of 100,000. Um, so in a market like Fort Collins with a 300,000, with 300,000 available in the market segment at any given time, there's 3,000 people available at any given time to go see live music. Yeah. And you've got over 5,000 seats available in the market. So if you have an available market of 3,000 people at any given time and you have over 5,000 seats in the market, oh shit, you have way more seats in the market than people than going people out to available, see shows. Yeah. Available. Right. That's 1% of the market is available. That doesn't mean that the 3,000 are going out. That just means that's how many people are available to go out at any given time. When you put it like that, it's a, when you put it like that, that's a that's a whole different context. Yeah. Too. Um I've I've noticed I've been hearing this from a couple artists and a couple venues um there's when they're going to shows it's gotten to a point in a couple situations where you hear about restaurants and breweries saying well can you bring in some people sure. and my my quick answer to that is no right because if i'm going to promote a show we're going to do it at Lost Lake, Larimer Lounge, Bluebird Theater. We're going to do it at an AEG venue where it quote-unquote counts, right. right? Where they see us doing work and selling pre-sales sure. and bringing butts in seats because that's where my career hopefully advances a little bit or I sure. get a good opener. It does not behoove me to pack a brewery in most – I mean it does, but if, but if I can only invite all my friends out to a show sure. once every five months, I'm not going to do it. Right. At this little place where we're playing in the corner. Right. That's exactly right. Um, but I this this conversation I've had with a couple brewery owners, uh, just talking as as friends and a couple musicians, is the whole thing with the PROs, where you're paying, any if you're having live music, you're paying up to, you know, anywhere from fifteen hundred to three thousand a year to pay those three mm -hmm. PROs for live music. It seems to become a slight bit of a conflict because the PROs are there to protect. The artist. Uh-uh. In a lot uh -uh, of... Uh-uh. No? Uh-uh. No, they aren't. Well, to... The PRO is there for the songwriter. Well, sure, sure. I'm sorry. I'm a song... I Yes, no, I realize that I'm a songwriter, so I think of... I call myself an artist right. songwriter. Right. So, in in a lot of ways, they're... That's how they present it, right? We're mm -hmm. here. We're here for you, right? Um, artist, songwriter, but it, you do have to be the songwriter. Songwriter. If you're playing cover songs, you're, you know... You're not going to see any royalties from sure, and, and a lot of and a lot of uh, people who are performing, 
you know, uh, don't know that if you have your material assigned to BMI or ASCAP or CSAC, yeah. um, that you need to send them the list of songs that you played at that particular right. venue and yep. have it signed off on by the venue so that ASCAP or BMI know that you deserve those royalties Submit out your set of list. that money that was paid by the venue. Yeah. Submit your set list. If there, especially if you're playing at a venue that's paying ASCAP and BMI and CSAC, submit your set list. Submit your set list. The, the thing I was talking to a brewery owner about the other day, a, a friend of mine, he said, well, I'm kind of confused because ASCAP and BMI have sent people in twice to check on us. Mm -hmm. He goes, so now we're paying for all three. ASCAP, That's BMI, right. CSAC. He goes, almost all the songwriter artists that play in here aren't aren't with CSAC. They're with ASCAP or BMI. He goes, we're paying royalties to all three, or we're playing, paying a fee to all three, right? which costs us $3,000 a year. And he goes, our performance budget in a 12-month year is $6,000. They just cut our performance budget in half. Right. So that means we're paying the we. I goes. I can't pay two hundred dollars a night or whatever it was mm -hmm. to the artist. I can only pay half that. Right. He goes. That's really tricky. That that's that's really tricky because it sort of in some ways defeats the purpose of taking care of. I I, I see they're there for the songwriter, but a lot of the people playing at these breweries are singer songwriters. They're performing sure. and writing their own songs. Sure. There's no way effect. for anybody to know today that the material that you're playing is self-penned, for one. Yeah. Nor is there any way for anybody to know today that you are not assigned to BMI or ASCAP or CSAC. Right. Uh, I've had this conversation for many, 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 many years. Uh, we did a study at one point. Oh, this is in the 90s, if I remember right. And I can't remember where I was working. It was in Fort Collins. Um, but we did this, we did this study about, um, how do you avoid playing, paying ASCAP or BMI? There had been at this point, and I, and I don't know if it's as true in the 21st century, but at this point in the game, um, there had only ever been one lawsuit that beat ASCAP or BMI. And here's how they did it. It was at a piano bar. They only ever had one performer. He had been there for 15 or 20 years. He only ever performed works that he personally composed. He had records of everything he composed, and he had records of everything he played every night he played, and that was the only way that he won. And we're not all going to do that. No. I've, there's, a, there's a couple of breweries I've heard about that are, that are saying, and they don't say it's for ASCAP and BMI's sake, but I suspect it is. Mm -hmm. They say you must play all originals. Can right. you play two hours or three hours of original yeah. material? Yeah, I just had a conversation with a brewery about that very same thing. What's just, your... um, two weeks ago. Really? Yeah, they decided not to have live music. Which, which is sort of a bummer because we're trying to... Everyone wants to play. Everyone wants to wants to sure. go and play. I, it's I actually I don't know what the correct answer is here, and I don't even know what my question is. Actually, <laughs> I'm just circling around because I've had this conversation from people on both ends of it, and now my artist friends, my songwriter friends, are saying, "Well, they're not paying their royalties. I'm going to submit my set list anyway. I'll show them." And I'm I'm sitting there going, "Well, do you understand why they're trying to not pay 
ASCAP and BMI? Do you understand how that actually might benefit you? And I'm not saying don't pay ASCAP sure. and BMI. It's just this this question that's been going around and around in my head, and I thought you'd be a good guy to bring There's it up There's an with. awful lot of, and, and I'm, I'm going to use the word ignorance in its proper context here. Okay. Okay. There's a lot of ignorance yeah. um, in this industry, both on our side of the table as performers yeah. and on our side of the table as buyers and venue operators. Right. Um, most people I've met who have decided to go into booking bands for their venue, whatever it might be, coffee shop, whatever, um, they're trying to do the good deed. You know, they're trying to offer up a small space for our 10 or 15 or 20 people who want to come out and enjoy our show. Right. I mean, let's face it, any given 98% of us on any good night bring 30 people out. I mean, that's, you know, if, if I had to go out after playing all of these years and say, I'm going to do a show for tickets, I'd be like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. It's not going to happen. Um, so we both, we both come at this from a kind of a good hearted perspective. We want places to play. We have venue people who want us to give us places to play, but we all come at it from a point of view of not having done our homework to start with. Yeah. We all come at it from the point of view of not having gotten the proper education to start with. And that's what I mean by the word ignorant is that we're ignorant in the truest sense of the word. We just want to go play. I just want to put people in my room knowing damn right well that 30 people in the room are not going to make me any money whatsoever. They just aren't. I'm going to make three, four, five hundred dollars if I'm a if I'm a coffee shop or a brew pub or something along those lines. I'm just not going to make a shit ton of money out of this deal. Yeah. But I want to be good and I love live music and here, let me, you know, you can work for tips, whatever the case is. Uh, so we, we don't come at it from a point of being educated about the process or about the effort or the money that it takes to do this thing. Uh, I surmise that many of the small venues, including some of these, you know, small breweries that are just upstarts, mom and pops and what have you, um, you know, they're saying, okay, we're going to put away $6,000 a year for entertainment. Well, that's $500 a month. That's $125 a week. Uh, that's not enough money. You need to be putting away 500 a week. Um, you need to be putting 500 a week. That's roughly uh, $2,250 a month. That's roughly $26,000 a year mm -hmm. out of your revenue that you need to allocate for that specific part of your business. And then you want, and then for the venue at that point, it might not be worth it anymore. Exactly. So, <laughs> what is the? I'm, it's it's there. There is no uh, direct answer. There is no. We're direct all answer. we're all looking at you, goat, to tell us what the perfect solution is. There isn't one. There isn't one. There isn't one. If you know, know what you're getting into. Know what you're yeah. doing. If you're a musician in today's world, um, uh, ninety-eight percent of us in our market area are hobbyists. Let's just, let's call it for what it is. Yeah. Over 98% of us are hobbyists. There are not very many professional, and I'm using the word professional in terms of full-time working, earning a living musicians in our region. I'm going to estimate it's one and a half, two percent 2% of all of us complete. The rest of us are, are trying to go out there and make a little bit extra pocket money and have some fun and play our music. Yeah. You know, it'd be nice if we made a thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand, three thousand dollars a gig. That'd be nice. Um, 
you know, I've known you for almost six years and I've known you and, and we've talked about this many times that what your aspirations and what your goals are and where do you want to be at a certain point in life? Uh, uh, Tyler Grant, uh, I remember I was part of a, a roundtable business building thing uh, several years ago when Tyler was said, what does it take for me to have a band that goes out so that we can all earn a middle class income? And what is that number? Mm-hmm. Well, okay, let's 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 go there. If you have a four-piece band, now the ASA says that the median income in this area is thirty-four thousand dollars a year. So let's just use that number. And you have a four-piece band, and you each want to make thirty-four thousand dollars a year. All right, let's do the math. So you got to add another person in there because you got all your non-salary components of things that you got to pay. So now you got five people at $34,000 a year. That's roughly $178,000 a year that you have to generate in revenue. Now, if you divide that down and by 50 weeks and by five working days in a month, in a week, that means that you need to generate $688 a day, five days a week in order to pay five people, $34,000 a year. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah. I have nothing to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. Oh shit. You know, you're, you're five times 700. You're 30, you're $3,000 a week. You're three, you're more than that. Let's see a 50 weeks. Uh, you're 3,050. That's 150. You're 36, you're 36, $3,700 a week that you need to generate in revenue to support a professional working business. And so if you're doing that full-time as a touring artist. If you're touring. You need to be, you know, a, an artist that has that kind of demand for one mm-hmm. or or be playing cover songs doing residencies all over the there place. There you go. Right. There you go. And you need to diversify. You know, if, if, if the intent... Uh, and so I say there, there's, you know, maybe 2% of us in, in, in the state today, you know, um, not already at a national level. Let's clarify yeah, that. Sure. Not already playing at a national level. Uh, I think there are maybe 2% of us who, who could potentially, you know, go down that road. Because when you start thinking that you need to earn $200,000 plus a year to be considered to, to not have to have a full-time day job, you know, um, you know, this is why we see so many people between 18 and 30 years old out there trying to make it happen on the road, you know, single guys, you know, we're not talking about a bunch of married guys right. with mortgages and children at home, and they need to make 45, 50, 60, 70, 80, $90,000 a year in order to support the lifestyle, uh, that goes, you know, with, with, uh, with all of being in life, you know, so uh, 98% of us are out there. Well, listen, we want to go out. We want to make, you know, we want to make a little bit of pocket money, hopefully enough to buy uh, a new guitar a couple of times a year or, you know, some new toys because the wife's not going to let us take 1500 or $2,000 out of the household budget or slam it on a credit card to go out and do these things. Yeah. So we're all out there trying to make a little bit extra money for ourselves. A little bit of play money is what we're trying to do. And if you're working for between $150 and $350 a night, whether as a solo artist or within a band, you know, if you're out there playing in bands and you're making three, four, five hundred dollars a night and you're playing uh, two nights a week, 
which would be a lot in some cases. That's $1,000 a week. That's a little over $4,300 a month. That's roughly $50,000 a year for the band divided by five. You're each making around $10,000 a year. Yeah. Well, and that's probably generous for a small band to say, if, if you're only playing Friday, Saturday night, let's cut out the the, the, the other night, stuff, right. you're not going to get 500 every Friday and Saturday no, night. No, you're not. I try. <laughs> I try. I used to. Yeah. I used to. Yeah. You know, once upon a time, I mean, you know, we'd go in and we'd work and we'd make 400 to 600 a night and we'd play four or five nights a week. Right. You know, those days are long gone, long, long gone now. And is that partly because of all the, what you're talking about, there's so many seats versus so many people available. The world shrank, Andy. Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking about this the other day. I, I, I asked myself the question, why did we get, how did we get here? You know, uh, a lot of people, there's a lot of criticism among a lot of 40-year-old uh, and older musicians in the scene, 45 and older now, uh, who say that they're making half of what they were making in the 80s or the 90s. And I sat down and I thought about this. First of all, the world shrank in the post-Napster world. Once upon a time, um, you could play regionally up and down I-25 and actually make enough money to uh, afford the lower end of middle class, lower middle class earnings. Yeah. You know, there were enough of those. You were playing in cover bands. I mean, let's, let's call it. You were playing in cover bands uh, because original music has never paid, and, and I can cite references from here till doomsday about that. Um, but the, the real trick was, is that um, as the world shrank, the level that you had to be at to make sustainable income rose. So now you have a worldwide market. You don't have a local market anymore. You don't just have the I-25 corridor. Um, you now have to expand that base. You have to go regional. You have to go national. You have to go international. If it's a matter of scale. And so if the serious money is made when you can go international, the serious money is made when you can get a half a million streams, right. half a million radio plays. A stream is analogous to a radio airplay. Sure. Except in radio, we're not playing, paying any of the performers at all. And at least digitally, the performers get paid if the performers are signed up with the PRO necessary to pay them. Right. Okay. So um, it's a matter of scale today. It's a matter of being able to get out there and play the big stages in a prime time slot because... Again, if you're playing a big festival and you're uh, even a regional band, chances are you're not even making enough to cover the cost of having gone to that festival to start with. Right. Right. Yeah, the plane ticket's expensive. Or even driving and paying right. for lodging and all the things yep. that go with that. If you're, if you're one of the first two hours of bands at a major festival, you're not making any money doing that. That's an illusion. You know, people want to play these big, big ass festivals and don't realize that uh, maybe we're making $500 to go play that. Yeah. I, I think the hope there is to get in front of in front of the crowd. But even then, at the beginning of the day, beginning of the day, be a lot of people there. You played one of my events. Yeah. You know, first band up in the day, you're playing to the people who are setting up and, and the staff and, you know, the yeah. the the early when people coming in. Where, where were we in, in the lineup? Were I we, think you were two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, we were two or three o'clock in the second afternoon. Second or, or yeah. third, I think we went yeah. the first one up. But but yeah, it was it was not. Uh, 
packed yet. No. By any means. But we still. A couple of hundred people. Yeah. You yeah. know. And then by the time you get up to around six o'clock, you know, people coming out for dinner and, you know, they're after work and sort of things. So you see that rise, you know. And the same thing is true regionally all over the entire state. Uh, I was out at Telluride uh, uh, Jazz Festival several years ago. I was the um, backline manager. And uh, I was walking around town and I was talking to a band that was playing right down in Telluride under a tent. And they had, this was their third year there. They had paid their way every time. They didn't get paid to play there. They had paid their way to go in hopes that after so much, so many years of playing there, they wouldn't get invited up to play the venues and the main stage where they could make their coin. Yeah. But they paid their way to be there to play at Telluride Jazz wow. from out of state. Yeah. Not That's kidding. expensive. It's very expensive. Yeah. What? And the, you do you do the investment over and over and over and over again, hoping That's... that it'll pay off. But it's always a reinvestment and i hope you know right a lot of these shows are they're they're investments and 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 from a ta from a tax business point of view if you're out there and you're doing this for 5 years and every year you file your taxes on that business and you're showing a loss the irs considers you a hobby after 5 years yeah you're not a business anymore you're a hobby they actually consider you a hobby yeah absolutely oh ah. yes hey kevin Right. Roommate, no worries. Roommate needed my car keys. I'm, That's okay. I'm in the driveway. That's all right. I'm in the driveway too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Oh. See, maybe that's the problem. Okay. It was his Wait fault. Minute. You need gotcha. my key. No. No. He's he'll he'll the slip past. Okay. Mine. You're a, you're a guest. We'll leave, we'll leave you be. Oh. Okay. <laughs> um. Let's let's jump in a little bit to your performing career before we yeah before we end. So you you led a band for I think you said. Was it 15 years? And then... Yeah, I was in a band. I was the second or third guitarist for a long time, 15 years. And then you took a lot of time off. And I think it's cool how somebody who's very involved in the music business side of things and the mentoring side of things and the radio side of things is also, you also in your 60s decided to get back in a band. <laughs> and, and, I, and I remember you called me once and, and said, wow, I really got a taste of my own medicine, all these I things. Did. All these things I tell young bands, like, you're idiots, do all this stuff. And then he goes, when I'm sitting, he said, when I'm sitting in the role myself, I realize, oh, okay. Such an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> but isn't that I'm good? So doesn't, ignorant. Doesn't that make you, uh, you know, that's, that's why college professors take sabbaticals. Yeah. You know, you get back on the other get side of the Get back on the desk. other side of the table. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I spent years on the industry side. I spent years running venues and doing sound and and uh, paying bands and advising and teaching. You know, I'm, I, I still do some teaching at CU Denver on, on call, you know, and that sort of thing. Um, as a musician, it was very weird. Um, you know, I, I took some time off, got back into it. We, uh, we put the band back together again, uh, oh, the year before my wife passed away, so 2015. Um, our debut was at the Mishawaka Amphitheater. It was where we debuted. That's a uh, great debut. With uh, Hazel Miller, Chris Daniels and the Kings and our band. Yeah. And, wow. uh, and uh, it was a, it was a hell of a debut. And, um, you know, and, and so it's been um, as a <laughs> elder statesman, I guess now at this point in my life, you know, somebody who decides at 60 plus years old that I'm going to have a band, you know, and, um, 
I have a, basically I have a core trio, myself, my lead guitar player, uh, Chris Chikowski, who's been my friend since the early 90s and been playing with me for seven, 18 years now. He's in his mid-50s. Uh, my bass player, Janine, is a school teacher. Uh, she's in her mid-50s, didn't even pick up bass till she was 48 years old. Um, and I have a 15-year-old kid playing fiddle and mandolin. He shreds. Me. He shreds. I saw oh him. I think it was at Woods Boss Brewing a few months back. I went and I came out and saw your your combo finally. And, oh, my God. Yeah. He's killer. That he, dude matter of fact, he's in Boston right this day. Uh, this week, he visited uh, Berkeley, uh, Juilliard, um, God knows where else. Is he else, a sophomore? You know? No. He, uh, he's not anything. He, he's, a, he's a very fascinating young man. Um, Jackson Earls, fascinating young man. He actually takes calculus classes at CU, at CU Boulder. Yeah, just an all-around um, smart his, guy. his education is all, is all computerized. It's, he doesn't go to school. He just doesn't go to school. He, it's, everything is, is self. It's, it's all immersive. It's all digital. It's all computer. It's all online. And he, like I said, he takes classes at CU Boulder in, in calculus. He just did calculus at 15 years old. I hate this kid. <laughs> you know, yeah. but... It's funny because you and I were talking earlier about music theory. It's like my guitar player and my fiddle player get together in a rehearsal and I can't get them to shut up. And it's like they're throwing all this theory at me and I'm going, shut the fuck up. We're trying to rehearse. And B, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Yeah. G, D, C. <laughs> exactly. I can play a one, four, five. I know where the two of the six and the major third are. And hey, listen. I'm going to play this and you two figure out what you want to do with it theoretically because I don't really give a shit. You yeah, know? yeah, sure. Bottom line, you know, I just want to play this song, you know, and you guys, if you want to go there, that's fine. But yeah, I've got to, I've got a really good band. And then I bring in, I have two different drummers I use, both of whom are in their 60s. And I have a couple of pedal steel players who I uh, will bring in throughout the year. They're both in their 60s. Yeah. So you got a bunch of guys in their 50s and 60s and a kid grandson if you will yeah um, who uh you know are going out there and just having fun with it just having fun with it that's awesome yeah and you're playing you're doing a lot of breweries and a lot of breweries yeah yeah a lot of breweries um we don't do very many full five six piece band shows because yeah. the money's not there and if right. i do them i have to pay out of pocket for it yes you know um, you know, if you're offered 300 and you're bringing in six people and a couple of your people demand more than $50 split, you got to pay for that. Um, but you're not recording music right now. Well, we did to record an EP two years ago in honor of my late wife. Yeah. It's called Sweet Inspiration. Um, and I had a great lineup on that, uh, including guest musicians. I had Eric Moon as a guest musician on it. Um, that's not released yet. And outside of that, I... There's not enough upside in the deal for me to spend four thousand, five thousand, six thousand dollars or more to go in and record professionally. There's just not enough upside in it for me. So would you call yourself a hobbyist in in that regard? Oh fuck yeah, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> sure. I have no aspirations at two months shy of sixty four years old of going out there and doing what some of my friends like you and Tyler and a bunch of my other friends are trying to do with your all careers. Yeah. It's like, yeah, no, I'm happy staying home and doing my radio show and playing, you know, I will play five times a month. Yeah. We'll go out and play five shows a month. Wow. So satisfied, but also, uh, 
it's still honing your craft at your age. Yeah, and still absolutely. Going out and doing yeah. it, which is and, great. And, and recording wise, you know, I've got enough gear in my house. Um, you know, I've and I've got a nice little room. I'm like going, you know, the, we're going to get the band in here, and I'm going to record it live. I'm going to record the rehearsal, quote unquote. And if the rehearsal take is good enough, and I through my DAW, I can compress and EQ it and do some basic mastering skills on it and put it up online so people can hear it. The only reason that I'm putting it up there is so people who want to book my band have something to listen to. Right. You know, and if you really want a live record, if you want a recording of the band, shit, come out to a show and record the, record it. You know, that's why I've always looked at it anyway. Yeah. You know, if you, if you want a recording, record it. Bootleg it. I don't care. Most of what I do are songs written by other people anyway. Bootleg it, burn it, and sell do it. Do whatever. Yeah, do whatever you, know, you want. Do whatever you want to do with it. It's, you know, once, listen, whatever you do, that's on you. You know, yeah. I know what I'm doing. Well, I super appreciate you coming on. And as we're finishing up, I can think of like 50 other questions I want to ask. Yeah, we could do a so, whole series. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, so let's just make sure, let's shake on it now. We're going to have you back again soon. Love you, brother. So love you very much. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, man. Okay, that's a wrap. My conversation with Chris K, a.k.a. GOAT. I think there's a lot of nice nuggets of information in there for us musicians there's a lot of good stuff he has a lot of good information he's been in the industry for a lot of years uh if you're listening and you thought hey this was useful information share it with some of your musician friends and hey if you enjoy the podcast go to the podcast app or itunes or wherever you listen to your podcast give it a rating preferably a five-star rating but whatever you see fit write a little review it helps me out a lot i want to say a quick thanks to Patrick at PQ Mastering, our sponsor. They're out of Las Vegas, Nevada. They put the finishing touches on this podcast. And for any of your audio restoration needs, you can contact Patrick at www.pqmastering.com. I didn't interrupt this podcast in the middle. I usually interrupt it with a little uh, clip of the theme song, maybe a song from the artist. We sort of do a little break in the middle, but I didn't want to break up this conversation. I just thought it flowed nicely, and there wasn't really a good stopping point. So I just let it go all the way through today, and we're going to listen to a song from Goats, G-O-A-T-Z, exclamation point, Chris K's band, to play us out. All right, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.
is cussing that preacher man. I tell y'all, sweet heaven, Lord, we got a better plan down in Memphis. Got them southern blues. Well, I hope y'all don't mind if we sit and pick on some of them southern Mud. Put my hands into the water, felt the music in my blood down in Memphis. Got them southern blues. Well, I hope y'all don't mind if we sit and pick on some of them southern on some of them southern blue.